What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 85 of the Lynch Leader Podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I hope you are having a great wrap on your summer. I know schools in our community are starting back and and uh, at least virtually, some in person. So hopefully there's a tad bit of normalcy returning to your lives. And after an absolutely crazy, crazy summer, I'll tell you this, I'm recording right now podcast for 2021. And I can't tell you how excited I am to bring you some amazing, amazing guests in 2021. So they are going to be fun. You got a lot to look forward to. Speaking of looking forward, you got a lot to look forward to even today. Today, I sit down with David Hodge. David Hodge is the president of Anchor Leadership, works with companies, incredible companies like Chick-fil-A, Salvation Army, uh, the U.S. Air Force. He spent many years with Walk Through the Bible. He's also the discipleship pastor at Dogwood Church, one of my favorite churches in South Atlanta with a good friend of mine, Keith Moore. David is just an absolutely brilliant leader. And, and one of the things I love most about David is he has an incredible understanding of people. But David came out with a book last year, I think you're really going to enjoy, called Your Legacy. And the whole principle of the book is every day we're leaving a legacy of some sort, good or bad. And we're going to dive into that topic today. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with my good friend, incredible leader, Mr. David Hodge. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It's an honor to have you, buddy. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mike. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I love what you've done. You have dedicated your life to leading leaders. When you were growing up, did you see yourself that way, where you're at in life now? Tell me, tell me about David growing up. I had no idea I would be leading leaders and... Um... When I was young, I just wanted to play baseball. I just dreamed of <laughs> playing uh, second base for the Cincinnati Reds. Unfortunately, Joe Morgan was playing at the time. And, uh, but that was my dream. I, I just wanted to play baseball. I loved it so much. And I had no idea that uh, God would open the doors he did many, many years later. When did you begin to see yourself as a leader? When, when did that, that transformation begin to happen when you went, I think I've got something that God's put inside me? Well, in the fifth grade, I was nominated as my class president. And it wasn't so much that I had leadership traits, but I think people just liked me. And, (laughs) (laughs) but I, but I recognized the power of that even, uh, even then. And later I I recognized the responsibility of that. And um, I, I, 
throughout high school, college, I, I recognized God had given me some gifts, but it really wasn't until uh, my early 30s that um, really through walking through some tough times, um, that God gave me this sense of he wanted me to invest in others to, to help them uh, fulfill what God had called them to do. And I started seeing it more and more throughout my 30s. I'd love to dive in on that a little bit, David. So most people think their tough journeys aren't going to teach them anything. But really, it's our tough journeys where we learn the most lessons. What did you learn about yourself during that season? How fragile I am. And uh, when Paul talks about we are like these fragile clay jars I learned everything through tough times. God would not have spoken to me like he did. I would not have listened to God like I did without that tough, tough experience. Everything changed for me. And I mentioned that in my early 30s because that, that was the turning point. I was um, in a crossroads of my career, didn't know what I was going to do, was wondering about my value um, as a person, not just as a leader, just as a person, but God used that experience to build in my life an appreciation for his strength and his power. And uh, since then, I am absolutely amazed at what God has been doing. I, I just can't put into words the opportunities he's given to me. But last week I was in New Hampshire speaking uh, on the topic of leaving a legacy to a family camp. And I, I was reminded, what is this young man from uh, Georgia doing in New Hampshire? Only God could do that. Only God could do that. What would you say to somebody that may have tuned in and, and they, they're, they just download the podcast, they've scheduled it, they downloaded it and they're in that dark season. They're a leader they're in that dark season. What encouragement would you give them? I think the most profound encouragement I could ever give someone through this dark time is simply this. There is hope. Mm. There is hope. And we, we define hope in our culture very differently than the Bible does. And I think it's very important for us as Christians to understand that distinction. Uh, the world around us defines hope really more along the lines of wishful thinking. Uh, for example, if you're a Atlanta Falcon fan, you hope the Falcons will actually win the Super Bowl, not just go there, but win the Super Bowl. In many ways, that can be wishful, wishful thinking. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about it as being absolutely certain. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at what God did in my life in my early 30s, when I was at my lowest point, uh, the one thing I had was hope, the hope and the assurance that Jesus was going to get me through this. I didn't know how, and it was a long, painful journey, journey but that hope is what sustained me. And uh, when the writer of Hebrews says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, he's talking about we can hold on to Jesus during those moments like nothing else. And it's in those moments that we develop the kind of relationship with God that is truly authentic. And it does pour out into our other relationships. And I've experienced that myself. And I would encourage anyone through this dark period right now to understand that there is a hope that will get you through this so that eventually God will use you to touch the lives of others. Would you say that during that season, you began to find your purpose? You began to find 
you know, we, we always say there's two great days in a, in a person's life, the day they're born, the day they figure out why they're born. Was some of that, did some of that happen to you during that season? Absolutely. In fact, um, <laughs> the definition of my calling came during that period and primarily my calling to encourage others. Uh, you know, Paul talks about how we encourage others with the comfort we've received. And th that happened in that moment. Clarity became more and more a part of my life every day as I understood uh, why God brought me out of that darkness. And he did it primarily so that I could come alongside others and remind them uh, of the hope that we have in him, but also the unique giftedness that he's given each one of us to bless uh, those around us. You know, you've been working with leaders now over 25 years as a trainer, consultant, coach, uh, your company anchor leadership has come alongside. I love what you had on your website. Um, that, that character driven approach, that's that anchor and foundation for success. As you work with leaders, David, what are some common struggles you see? What are some things that, that when you shut the door, not when they're standing in front of their company, promoting their vision, 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 and core values for the following year. But when that door shuts or you're sitting at lunch with them privately, what are some common leaders from church to marketplace that you see leaders struggle with? I think one of the biggest struggles that most leaders have Christian or non-Christian is the concept of delegating. Mm. I think what often makes us, a leader or you know, others recognizing us leadership ability is the fact that uh, we get things done and we motivate people to, to get things done. I think the extremely hard thing for us is to let go of some, some things and truly delegate to others. And, uh, but truly, and this is what I hear behind closed door, successful leaders are extraordinarily busy. And if they do not manage the time properly, they will not only burn out, they, they will ruin the relationships around them that they treasure the most. And uh, in order to, to be able to have the capacity and space in our lives to make that happen, we truly need to, to equip others. I, I use, when I talk with Christian leaders, I talk about equipping a lot because it's a biblical concept. I am giving you the tools to do this and equipping you uh, to, to do it and to delegate it in a way that empowers you to do it with freedom. And that's a hard thing for many leaders. It's, it's scary to let go. It's scary to let go. But as I think about my own children, and uh, especially uh, when they were around 11, 12, and wanted to do more and more in, in, around the house, I recognized I needed to let them fail. Mm. As a grown-up, now as a leader, I have to be willing to let people fail. But if there's one threat I've seen, Mike, it's the unwillingness to delegate that uh, is probably the biggest problem that comes back uh, in the form of uh, taking on too much and having a very stress-filled mind. When it comes to equipping, what's a positive step a leader can take in you know, they are where they are probably because they are busy and because they are good at what they do. And they look at it and they go, well, maybe somebody else can't do the task as good as I can. So I'm going to keep doing it. What's a positive step somebody can make when it turns around and you go, okay, here's, here's a first step to learn to equip others. Anything stand out to you in that? There's a couple things. One is see the big picture. Imagine six months from now, this person taking on those duties 
and running with it so that you can focus on bigger things. The second thing is the simple joy of watching others succeed. Uh, all of us are where we are today because someone equipped us and empowered us and allowed us to not only fail, but to ultimately uh, find success in that. There's a lot of joy watching those that we delegate uh, certain tasks to find success. When you walk in and, and, and man, after 25 years, I think I probably know the answer to this, but when you walk in, how quickly can you pick up on the temperature of how a leader's doing? Is that something that you've gone, I can, I can see past the words and see past the suit and see past the, the, the prettiness of the office complex. How, how has that been for you working with guys? On one level, I can pick up a lot very, very quickly. And, um, it's often tone of voice, um, how, how they view the people around them. Uh, but also learn this about people. There's, there are often so many layers to people that it does take a while to, to get to heart issues. And ultimately, successful leadership is about having a heart that's right with God and right with others. And it takes a while to get there with many leaders to help them. And uh, part of it is none of us want to be weak, you know, mm especially the leaders, we don't want to be weak. We don't want to be perceived that way. And one of the opportunities I have in one-to-one coaching is to allow them to trust me enough to share the deepest struggles they have, because I could, I can help. God's allowed me to help leaders if they're willing to be open and authentic with me. I love that. You've, you guys have worked with guys from, uh, companies from Chick-fil-A to the Air Force, right? Yes. Yes. So is there is there a commonality of leadership, no matter what facades out front or what names on the sign? Are there just some things that are leaders, leaders and leadership is just going to be no matter what the circumstance is? Yeah, there's some aspects of leadership that's true across the board. Uh, but other aspects of leadership are in the context of, of the kind of industry. For example, I work with a lot of construction company leaders and a lot of healthcare company leaders. Uh, and they are as diverse a culture as you can get. Um, first of all, the construction industry, a lot, a lot of men are involved, more men than women leaders. And uh, it's a very upfront, in your face, very vocal. Uh, it's not nuanced at all. You don't wonder what people are thinking. Uh, healthcare is complete opposite, uh, far more women leaders, uh, far more, uh, talk of feelings as opposed to behaviors. And, uh, so as a consultant, as I go in, I have to be very aware of that culture and the, how they can be more successful by understanding that culture and working through that culture. Every organization, let's talk about Chick-fil-A, for example, has a very unique culture. Mm -hmm. To be successful, you have to buy into that culture, Um, not just understand it, but buy into it. Because I think long-term, if you don't buy into that culture, you're not going to be successful, happy, fulfilled, and really you're not going to be your best self. And uh, so understanding the culture and buying into that culture, I think is vital. That's so good. That's so good. You know, you've learned a lot 
where you're at now and the seat you have at the table now, what do you wish you young David, David in his late twenties, early thirties, what do you wish you would have known then that, you know, now, and you've just become a grandfather, you've crossed in this new threshold of life. What do you wish you'd have known then? How important people are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I have a lot of regrets as a young leader in particular. Um, I often use people to get what I really wanted if I'm being completely forthright. And I still struggle with that. And uh, holding my grandson yesterday was a reminder of how (laughs) vitally important people are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe God will ultimately judge me based on how I treated people and not necessarily what I've accomplished. And I think that's, I I want to hear that. I want to remind myself of this today. I want everyone listening to be reminded of this today, how vitally important people are in leadership and how easy it is to forget that. Boy, that's good. That's rich. That is so rich. And that doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what you do. It's all about people. It really is. Life at the end of it is all about not accomplishments, but all about people. You spent many years with the Walk Through the Bible organization. What did that do for you? Learn. I mean, if you've never been through a Walk Through the Bible conference, it's one of the most amazing things. You think you know the Bible till you sit in one, and you're like, holy smokes, I didn't know how all this worked together. What did that do for you, not only in leadership, but just in your faith journey, those years you spent with them? Yeah, I walked through the Bible. It's had a profound impact on my life. I worked with Bruce Wilkinson uh, back in the 90s and traveled with him a good bit. And I learned so much from him through watching how he communicated and how effective he was. The current president of Walkthroughs, Phil Tuttle, uh, he's continued that that same legacy of uh, biblical communication and it's it helped me in every aspect, including leadership development, being able to effectively communicate with people, whether it's one-to-one or, in a, or a small group or a large group. It's profound. It's absolutely profound. The other aspect of Walk Through the Bible that's been so meaningful to me is helping me understand the big picture of the Bible. Most Christians really don't understand how the Bible fits together. And in two and a half hours, Walk Through the Bible still can teach the most effective overview of the Bible. And what that does is it creates a hunger for God's word and therefore a hunger for God himself. So I, I've been impacted deeply by the ministry of walk through the Bible. Where did your faith journey begin? How did, how did, how did you come to know Christ in your journey? Uh, I was 11 years old attending a church camp in Florida. And you can imagine what it's like in July <laughs> in Florida without air condition. And uh, every evening, the uh, speaker, we, w- we would build a big bonfire. The speaker would be in front of that bonfire speaking about hell. And he was so descriptive. It was as, as if he had been there himself. And you know, it was already <laughs> hot enough. And he had this fire and he thought, uh. and uh, it's, it's interesting. I believed in God. I believed in heaven and hell. Um, but that wasn't what moved me. Uh, when I got back from that camp, but what's interesting is God used the talk of hell to soften my heart. But it was really that Sunday uh, when I heard the pastor talk about God's love. And that's always kind of an interesting contrast, that this, this uh, path that we're on to hell without God. And then I heard this message of God's love for me. 
and to the path that he's given us through Jesus to, to receive that. And uh, during the invitation that day, it was a very traditional church. They would sing an invitation song. It was I Surrender All that day. And I, and I did that. And I walked uh, down the aisle and uh, received Jesus. And um, so I can look at that moment and know that I encountered God uh, deeply and completely uh, that day. But it really wasn't until I, the experience I mentioned in my early 30s that that salvation was deepened to the point where I desperately wanted to please God and mm. let go of these fleshly, earthly concerns of mine. And uh, so I look at those two as the most pivotal, pivotal moments of my spiritual journey. You know, Scripture says a lot about ironing, sharpening iron, iron, sharpening iron. Who have been some iron sharpeners in your life? Who have been some people that God has sent your way that you went, I am a better man today because of these people? What would you say? The list is so long, Mike, but I'll, I'll share a few. My dad had a tremendous impact on my life. And the older I get, the more I talk with other men, I recognize what a special dad I had. And um, my dad had a dramatic conversion when he was 30 years old. And uh, he was the kind of guy that would wear Jesus T-shirts. Uh, that would be a, a play on uh, popular products of the day. For example, uh, Jesus, he's the real thing based on the yeah. color. Or uh, this blood's for you. Uh, <laughs> based on the, the Budweiser one. And uh, he was very much uh, open about his faith in Jesus. And yet he had a kindness. He was never offensive. He was one of the few people I knew that uh, had Jesus around him all the time, but wasn't offensive about it. And But more importantly, I watched him privately. And this is the most profound part of my dad's influence on my life. He was an extraordinarily consistent man at home. He loved my mom and I was able to watch that. And I, he later became a pastor. And of course I heard his words every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but I also watched him live privately. That, that had a profound impact. And that's a great leadership principle. Oh, yeah, uh, leaders, they, they watch what we do and they listen to what we say. And if it doesn't match up, our credibility or effectiveness is impacted by that. So my, my dad was certainly one of those individuals. Walt Wiley uh, had a profound impact on my life. Walt was the chaplain for the Atlanta Braves for a number of years. We worked together uh, 11 years with Winning with Encouragement. And Walt was truly the most uh, servant-oriented leader I had ever been around. And he, he modeled for me consistently, still does to this day, a, a leadership style that pleases God, this, this man who truly loves others and wants to serve them. And we often miss, miss that in leadership because we get caught up in the responsibility and maybe even the title sometimes. But he taught me uh, that we never should uh, forget that we are here to serve others. So those are, those are just two of many. Well, that's so good. And, you know, it's funny, you try to think of life without them. And they're so intertwined in your journey that you aren't who you are today without them. You know, it's definitely your father, but but even the other people that God, and I think sometimes, and, and you've written a great book on legacy and how God, God uses our legacy in other people's lives, but other people contribute to that legacy 
that you are leaving because of what they poured into you. You had a gentleman in your life, and I want to talk about the book a little bit. You had a gentleman in your life, Coach Roberts, that left, that made a profound impact. We, but we have a common love for the game of baseball. They were both avid, avid sports fans. Uh, we're the Falcons are one and one, so we're still hopeful, right? I mean, things That's are, I mean, it's, it's still good. It could go up or down, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go up. Um, what was the legacy coach Roberts left in your life, David? Well, this is an extraordinary uh, story in my life and um, a little context. We had moved from a small town in Florida to Atlanta. Um, my mom recognized uh, that I was getting very lonely. I wasn't making friends in school. And so she signed me up for the league baseball and we had a, had had a fun season. I think we were like two and 18, and, but I didn't care. I just enjoyed playing. And I was uh, asked to be on the all-star team. And so it was just an exciting opportunity. I'd, I never had that level of instruction in baseball before. And so part of being a, a part of the all-star team was, uh, this is not unusual today, but it was highly unusual at the time. We, we had two full weeks of practice where we were there all day from, uh, I believe it was eight o'clock uh, to five o'clock every day. And the first week I did very well. In fact, the, the head coach, uh, manager uh, appointed me as the starting first, excuse me, third baseman. And, um, but later uh, in that week, uh, I started getting distracted. And I'll never forget uh, throwing a ball over the head of the first baseman, and it hit Coach Wiggins' antique. Uh, <laughs> Woody station wagon, <laughs> and uh, I remember him turning around and asking who did it, and I, uh, you know, and he had recognized I was losing my my focus, and so later he he asked me to go uh, in the outfield. I was no longer going to be starting at third base, and I was deeply depressed by that, and uh, I don't know why I lost my focus, but I had. But everything changed when I met Coach Roberts in the outfield. And uh, the most profound thing about what I'm about to share with you is I spent two weeks with Coach Roberts, and I'm talking about him over 40 years later. Wow. What an encouragement it is to recognize that God can use us in people's lives in the the space of two weeks. And he did. And when I first got out there, I mean, I'm sure he saw my shoulders slumping and how depressed I was. And, but he immediately uh, was encouraging to me. And I had never played outfield before. And uh, he taught me all about the outfield, but he also taught me how to hit a curveball. I'd never been able to do that. I mentioned that to him. He would stay after practice. He told my mom he would take me home. He would stay a good hour after practice, just throwing me curveball after curveball. And I f- first started hitting a curveball simply because he taught me how to do that. And uh, later it was announced that I would be the starting uh, right fielder. And uh, our first all-star game, I'm starting in right field. And I'm looking at Coach Roberts and just recognizing it was his belief in me that mm-hmm. made this happen. During the game, though, we, we, we had a pitcher. The opposing pitcher was uh, just an extraordinarily gifted pitcher, both fastballs and curveballs, and had a no-hitter going into the last inning. I was the third batter up. I remember sitting in the dugout doing the math. Uh, no one had even touched this guy. And I'm recognizing I'm going to be the last. <laughs> but I'm on deck, and the, the, there's two quick, quick outs. I'm about to walk up to the plate. Coach Wiggins, who, who is the manager, uh, calls timeout and announces a, a pinch hitter. 
And then what happened next, I had never seen or experienced in my life. I haven't seen it to this day. Coach Roberts comes in and starts arguing with Coach Wiggins not to take me out, that he knew I could get on base. Oh, my gosh. And they're arguing in front of you know, my parents and the fans and everything are watching this take place. I am actually at this point rooting for Coach Wiggins because I didn't want to. <laughs> and I did not have that confidence in myself. But they continued the argument and Coach Roberts won. And uh, I, I remember him patting me on the back and says, you, you can do this. Um, and uh, Coach Roberts was on first base. He was first base coach. And uh, the first pitch, I actually fouled it off, but it was the first time I had touched the, you know, my bat to the ball that day. The second pitch, I got a real strong uh, uh, foul liner uh, toward first base, and I was get, getting that confidence, and I could hear Coach Roberts you know, yelling encouragement to me. The third pitch came. It was a little bit outside, which is exactly where I liked it. And I, to this day, I have no idea what, uh, what would have happened uh, because I hit the catcher's net. And uh, I, I remember all of us looking around because I don't think any of us had ever seen this and knew what to do. And then the umpire awarded me first base for catcher interference. And uh, to this day, I have no idea whether I would have struck out or hit a home run or what. But what I do remember more than anything is standing on first base and Coach Roberts putting his arm around my shoulder and saying, I knew you could do this. Wow. We all need people like that in our lives. Mm. And more importantly, we need to be that person in other people's lives. Yeah. You know, when you sent me the advanced copy of that, I got to read through it. It was just so good because I think all of us, whether you're in your 30s or you're in your 50s, we all recognize we're not here forever. When somebody begins to remember that they're leaving a legacy, what changes about them? Well, I think when p people recognize they're leaving a, a legacy, they, they begin to understand the difference between that which matters and that which doesn't. And, uh, you know, Paul tells us that n nothing we do for the Lord is useless. <laughs> and and that's, that's where we need to begin. You know, what, what are the things that will truly last? Well, the things we do for the Lord, such as love, loving others, encouraging others, and uh, helping others and providing for them uh, are the kinds of things that last. And so that's, that's the twist. We move from earthly things to heavenly things. We begin to understand that treasure truly is the things we store up in heaven, not, not on this earth. As this book is uh, just coming out, I'm getting a number of emails uh, from, from friends who not only read the book, they're studying, there's discussion questions at the end of each yeah. chapter. <laughs> Some people call it homework, but, um, when they start doing that kind of work, I think it's when they begin to realize every day they have an opportunity to make an internal investment. What a profound privilege that is that God gives us that allows us to touch people's lives throughout eternity simply by doing the things that God wants us to do. You, you talk in the book, David, about passion and it being key in a person's life as you look at leaders that are really leaving a mark and leaving a legacy where does that passion come from? I mean, and they're probably not all just energetic people, but passion's not energetic. Describe right. a little bit about what you mean in that. Yeah. One of my favorite stories, Chuck Swindoll talks about, he was a pastor in uh, California, a large church for a number of years. He talks about uh, 
this woman who sat on the front row every Sunday and fell asleep during his sermon. Uh, and then years later, he's uh, visiting someone in the hospital. It's such a large church. He doesn't know everyone's you know name with their face. And But he goes see this woman who he, he knew was dying of cancer, and he knew her immediately. She was the woman that always fell asleep on the front row during his sermon. And so uh, he tries to get his attitude right, and he, he goes to talk with her about spiritual matters. And she immediately lets him know that she's at peace with God, that, she do- that he doesn't need to worry about that. But she asked him this question, Pastor, who's going to replace me when I'm gone? And he very <laughs> cynically thought, thankfully he didn't say this. I mean, who am I going to replace falling asleep on the front row? But, but thankfully he didn't say that. But he, he said, you know, I, I apologize. I don't know what you do here. And she said, oh, I, I didn't realize you didn't know what I, what I do. I get up early every Sunday morning and pray for you for hours before you preach. And then he suddenly realized why she was falling asleep was because she was getting up and praying God's power and grace on his life before he, he spoke. You see, that's enthusiasm. That's mm-hmm. boundless enthusiasm is this concept of whatever God's laying on our heart to do for others. That's enthusiasm. Enthusiasm literally mean, means God in you. And that is what enthusiasm is. Sometimes it's visible, but sometimes and often it's hidden because it's what God lays on our heart to do for others. You, you, you've made an interesting statement in the book. You said there's no such thing as not leaving a legacy. Yeah. You're leaving a legacy. Explain, explain that a little bit for everybody. One of the best analogies I've ever heard on legacy is um, uh, a ship going across the ocean and behind that ship is a wake. And uh, that's true of all of us. We're, we're leaving things behind wh- whether or not we recognize it or not. The question is whether that wake is something that's being a blessing to the people around us or is it <laughs> pulling people down? Yeah. And uh, we, all, we all leave something behind. Uh, the question I think for all of us is, is it what I really want to leave behind? Or maybe even more profoundly, is it what God wants me to leave behind? Hmm. If someone reads the book, and and many are going to read it, I know we're going to have a link in our show notes where people can order it. When someone reads the book and, and they're finished, they're going through a small group, which is a great idea of, of uh, a group of people, and they go through the book. What do you hope to leave with them? What do you hope is their takeaway? I don't think your dream is that it goes on everybody's shelf. What do you hope is the takeaway of everyone? Well, I think, I think the, uh, the end of each chapter, there are question, reflection questions. And these are deep questions. Uh, I wrote a book that I like to read. It's 13 chapters long. It's short chapters. I don't, I don't like long chapters. <laughs> Uh, the reflection questions are, are the, really the questions that will move you from thinking about your legacy to actually living a legacy and doing the things you really want to do. And so what I envision, and I think it's what God put on my heart for others, is that they would be reminded every day is an opportunity, opportunity to invest in the people around them with eternal things. And the book, I think, will help with the specifics of that, a path. Uh, 
I heard years ago that Ken Blanchard, of course, you're familiar with his findings, One Minute Manager, among others. Uh, For many years, he'll ask uh, young people, do you want to leave the world a better place? What's interesting is he said, no one's ever said no. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And uh, but then he'll follow it with this question. What's your plan? Mm. Everybody wants to leave a, a better world behind. But what is your plan? And what I hope for the book is uh, and this is something that um, uh, I, I indeed believe God is using uh, is that people will create a plan and actually do it. And that this will help them navigate it. This book in many ways is the process that I learned uh, myself. And it really begins with gratitude. I talk about in the book, uh, uh, I think gratitude is what ultimately motivates us to leave a la- lasting legacy where would I be today without the love of God in my life? Where would I be without his forgiveness and mercy and grace? Where would I be if the Holy Spirit has not been pouring God's love into my heart? Where would I be without the parents I had? Where would I be without a wife who lovingly nurtures me every day? Where would I be without Walt Wiley who modeled for me effective leadership? Where would I be without Coach Roberts for two weeks a man who, who saw in me something I didn't see in myself, who was a champion. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine where I would be today without all the investment that God and others have put in my life. And that's what motivates me to want that for others. As you, as you enter this space in your journey now, where you're looking in the rearview mirror and you're seeing all the things that God has done and the coach Roberts and the Walt Wileys and your precious wife and your kids and now your grandchild and, and, and you see all of these things and the legacy word probably means more now than it's ever meant. What's the, what's the legacy you want David Hodge to leave? What, what's the, what's the thing you want somebody on a podcast or an interview one day saying about you? My, that's a profound question. I was not ready for that. <laughs> I, I believe what I want people to say about me is that David reflected the light of Jesus. The, the Bible character I resonate the most with is Barnabas. And one thing we forget about Barnabas, that wasn't his given name. His given name was Joseph. He had a nickname, and that was Barnabas. And that nickname means son of encouragement. And uh, when I realized years ago that the father of encouragement is God, (laughs) what Barnabas was doing was reflecting the very nature of God. And uh, God has gifted me in, in the area of encouragement. But what I want people to see in my life is where that encouragement truly comes from. It's it is reflecting God's love being poured into my life. And uh, I'd be honored to be remembered as a man who encouraged with the encouragement I've received from God and pass that on to others. Thank you for asking that question. I hope you enjoyed that time with David. Good stuff, wasn't it? You know, it's funny how many incredible leaders there are out in this world, literally in all walks of life, that you meet them and you go, okay, they're different. What I love about great leaders, though, is they always leave people a little better than they found them. And I think that's one of David's keys. I know if you've if you're hosting pod 
are hosting uh, marriage conferences at his church. David did a phenomenal job for years working with our North Star families at a marriage conference. He is great working with leaders, pouring into people in his new book, Your Legacy, which there'll be uh, links for in the show notes, is a must get because it does make you think about where you're going. Well, in our next episode, we get to sit down with another phenomenal leader who also has a brand new book out, Pastor Adam Weber. And I didn't know Adam. Adam and I were able to get connected um, about his book and man, just getting to spend some time with him. Phenomenal what God is doing in and through Adam. And you are going to love the next episode. Well, if you enjoyed this episode today, or if you enjoyed Just Lynch with a Leader overall, and it adds value to your life, man, if you would just hit pause and go to iTunes and leave a review and uh, leave a rating for us, because it does help our podcast get back into the hands and get into the hands of the people that need it the most. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And my prayer is you'll go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that he's put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.